Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing? We're a nice, intimate audience, which is great because we're going to be able to really get into the music. Uh, you do have to sing, I have to warn you. So I, I want to hear some good, strong singing voices today. Pleasure to be with you tonight. My name is Russell Steinberg, and I will be the upbeat live speaker for the LA Philharmonic for this fantastic performance you're going to hear tonight with Gustavo Dudamel and the LA Phil. Most of you know me, some of you don't. I'm a composer, I write music. I also conduct the LA Youth Orchestra. And I give lots of talks about music. Right now I'm giving a talk on classical Vienna, on Mozart, Haydn, and Beethoven. If any of you are interested to be on my list, you may come up afterwards and sign my golden book. This is a fantastic concert. You know, you're gonna be hearing two very new works. But, you know, as a composer, usually I want to spend all my time on the new music because that's the hardest to understand, but that's not the case in this concert because we have these two wonderful composers from Mexico who write music that is to what I call immediate music, and that's not a denigration. It just means I don't, you don't really need me to explain much about it. It uses tonal gestures and things that you know in, in most of the music you listen to. So you're able to absorb it on your own pretty quickly. And both composers have an incredible ear for color and an incredible ear for rhythm, you know, coming from Latin America. So let me just quickly demonstrate, because what, we're, what I do want to spend time with is the Copland Third Symphony, because that is something I think I really can help you with. So let me go first to... Uh, Arturo Marquez, who <laughs> I guess is kind of famous here at the LA Philharmonic. My, my uh, consortium group told me about that because of his uh, Danzone Number no. 2, which Gustavo has done with the Simon Bolivar Orchestra many times, as well as the LA Phil. So let's just hear a little bit of that. Now, the piece we're going to hear from him tonight is a brand new piece. Well, it's actually, I guess it was premiered actually a year, a year ago. And it's his Fandango, uh, which is basically a violin concerto. And so I don't have an, uh, an example of that, but let's hear this piece that's so popular of here, and you'll see why. Looking to see if anyone's dancing yet. Okay, let's go a little farther in it. Okay, you get the idea. Really fun music to listen to, beautifully written, beautifully orchestrated with you know, the kind of rhythm that's, I guess you call infectious. So that's Arturo Marquez, who actually, I understand, grew up for a lot of his formative years here in Los Angeles and studied here before he went back to, to Mexico and became very famous as a composer there. We're also gonna hear uh, Gabriela Ortiz, 
And we're going to hear a brand new piece from her, <laughs> a piece that is uh, inspired by peyote, okay? Now, I do not do altered substances, so I can't really speak about this. But I will tell you that she's someone also who is very interested in rhythm. Let me play you a little bit of a string quartet that inspired this new piece. All the rhythm. And this tune comes in right here. idea and it gets very rhythmic as we go I was just at a rock concert a week or two ago with a Japanese psych rock group called Kikagako Moyo and you know they, their music also had this quality kind of hypnotic quality that grooves and goes and so this is something a lot of contemporary classical composers are are now taking advantage of now, now think about that tune I just played you, because I want to see if my internet's working here, whether I can play you a little snippet of her piece. So this is the opening of this new piece you're going to hear tonight. There's the tune coming in. I want to stop right there because maybe that's the reason this concert was formed this way because it sounds like fanfare for the common man, doesn't it? <laughs> right? Timpani, da-da-da, da-da, right, da-da-da, da-da-da. So that's kind of interesting. Let's see what she does with that. So there's a lot of imagery she had of a blue deer, which I guess is a vision that people have, I guess, with this, in this particular peyote ceremony. And I guess what we've discovered is if you're really hallucin you know, hallucinating deeply, you start to hallucinate Copeland. So, okay. Some beautiful layering here. music, both Mexican composers and Copeland, and most music 
you know, in 20th century, 21st century, and certainly music of the Americas, is so influenced by the rhythms and the vitality of Igor Stravinsky and Bela Bartok. And so even though they're taking all the local elements of color, you know, orchestration and local rhythmic elements, they end up incorporating things that sound very much with this influence. And so I just want to move to the real thing for a second. This is Igor Stravinsky's Petrushka. That's not so far from Gabriela Ortiz's language. You know, she's, she's kind of adapting Stravinsky. And what Stravinsky did in that, in that early ballet, which was before his, he got you know, even farther with dissonance in Rite of Spring, is something called pan-diatonicism. And I feel I can talk about that because this is a pan-American festival. Pan-diatonicism means all the notes of the scale are equal. And so, for instance, in music from Vivaldi up to Mahler, all the, all the notes of the scale, if I take, those all operate in this descending circle or not descending, but just a cyclic energy. Each one chord leads to the other. Pan-diatonicism says free them up. Everyone's equal. And if they're all equal, they can move in different ways. Instead of going, they can go, right? And you get these beautiful different kind of sounds like this. Even those kinds of beautiful dissonances. And so this is something, what? <laughs> well, okay, that's a good question. Is that beautiful? So if I say this can be beautiful, and you say, no, it can't, well, how about if I do it this way? I say. It all depends on context, okay? It all depends on context. And so you're right, by just nude by itself, maybe not, but composers can, can, can change the context for a particular sound. And the reality is with most of us, what we think is beautiful or ugly, I hate to say it it's, it, it's really not nature, it's really our context and what we learn. And, and so, so Stravinsky created these sounds that were very beautiful with pan-diatonicism. Uh, here's another example. Here's, here's Copeland trying, doing that kind of thing. This is... That's Copeland who is... Is, is, is riffing off Stravinsky. Stravinsky had such an enormous influence, especially in the United States. 
in the 1920s and the 1930s. And in fact, most of what we call our American music <laughs> was really influenced by a Russian who was primarily thought of himself as French you know, <laughs> and Spanish. And so spoke so many languages and spoke so many cultures. And this became something they wanted. In fact, they even joked, the New England composers like Copeland and Harris, Harold Shapiro, they kind of joked that they were like little Stravinskyites, you know, because, of, because they, they were just so in love of these sounds. And so Co this became a big, big part of Copeland's music. The Third Symphony was written at the end of World War II. And this was a time when composers were trying to make the great American statement, you know, to kind of stand up to European music. So they, the idea was to write a great American symphony. And people like Roy Harris and other composers, like Harold Shapiro I mentioned, had been writing symphonies, Copeland had too, and lifting the ante for what an American symphony could be. Now, of course, they all knew Mahler. You cannot compete with Mahler. I'm sorry, it's right? It's impossible. I, isn't that right? Well, I think it is. I think it is. So, but, but, they, but they aspired to that. And so Copeland, you know, put a lot of energy into this third symphony to be the great American symphony. And it was a critical success, but it was not, that, it was not really embraced by people like his, his other hits like Appalachian Spring, right, or Fanfare for the Common Man, even though it uses Fanfare for the Common Man uh, to structure the whole symphony. And that's what I'm going to be showing you. So it's just kind of interesting. I think the reason I want to talk to you about it is I think it's truly a great symphony, truly great, but I think it helps. It's, gonna, it's a very original work, and it's not written like other symphonies. And so I'd like to guide you through, the, through it. And so... First thing we're going to do is sing. <laughs> so let me play. This is how it opens. It opens this way. We call that a fourth. You don't need to know that. Let's all sing that. Ready? La, la. That's very nice. One more time. I want to hear it. This is a good group. Okay, that's the whole symphony. So you pretty much know everything I have to say. Now, that fourth is something that we know from Mahler. You guys, didn't we you hear Mahler's first symphony? Some of you heard that recently. This is Mahler's first symphony. That's the same thing. Da-da. But, you know, the, that's not all it is. It's also the fanfare for the common man. You know, he's thinking, you know, everything that people have gone through, all the incredible tragedy and angst of World War II, and then finally this end, it's a triumphant end. He wanted to make an affirmative statement, you know, the fanfare for the common man, but at the same time, represent everything we had gone through. So if you think of that, right? That's Copeland. So, if you, take, if you do that backwards, it's, okay? So, it's not just Mahler he's doing, it's himself. He's riffing off of himself. Okay, so now let's, let's sing a little further. So, it goes, the first tune you're going to hear is with the strings. Doesn't sound like much, right? Almost sounds like someone noodling. 
That's actually the seeds of the whole piece. Let's try singing that. I'll guide you with the piano. Yeah. La, 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 la. And then the horns come in. And then you, you hear again. Okay. Sorry. Da, da, ba, da, 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 da. Which is. And that is. Uh, so it's, it's, it's like a distant, distant evocation of the fanfare for the common man. This is the opening you're going to hear of the symphony. It's like a hymn, isn't it? It's a hymn. And then the brass come in. And then the brass again. Such a beautiful chorale opening the piece. So you get the idea. And then he brings in this pan-diatonicism, because he's already kind of defined. But now he's going to show you these kinds of chords, these dissonant chords. But he's going to make show you how beautiful he can make them. So if I play them gently, you'll see. Uh. It's kind of this beautiful meditation, but very different than Beethoven, right? It's not doing that. It's not doing that. It's a different cycling. And this, by the way, is the language of Ortiz in her, her piece as well. Okay, so you get this beautiful thing, and then the strings come in, and eventually we get the timpani, and timpani, the kettle drums, hearing them do the fourths very strong. I'm going to go a little farther to the... So bum, bum, so you're hearing nothing but fourths. And then this big brass come in. We gotta sing that, that's the next theme. And that, th those two themes span the entire symphony, all four movements. So let's do it. Okay, and la, 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 without me, and la, 
Okay, and then the whole thing is. I'll play it again. Let's do that together. Yeah. La, la, la. Again. And now the whole enchilada. <laughs> and. Da, la, la. Now this music is it's beautiful, by the way. You're singing gorgeous, really gorgeous. I mean it. I'm not saying different audiences have different abilities to sing. It's really lovely. Let's listen to this now, and this whole section is going to make sense, this new theme. Got the idea? So I've just, you've just, this is so great because now instead of hearing this dissonant section, you're hearing all he's doing is cycling through the same tune. He's trying to get you to know it. Think about how different and titanic and kind of terrifying this music is from the gentle hymn that opened it up. And then we have a big return with this lead up. Going faster. We get to the finally this big return. There's the fourth. Could you hear that was both themes smashed together? Cool, right? And you could hear them both the fourths going on and then this kind of malevolent thing underneath. Okay, and now we have a return. Back to the opening with a nice variation in the winds. Beautiful. Then he takes the, the kind of malevolent theme and he puts some percussion on it and he, he kind of rattles it with 16th notes. scintillating light. Yeah. 
after hearing it in the deep brass, to hear it way up on top, it's, it's again, to me, it's even more frightening. And then we have this beautiful quiet coda to finish the first movement. Hear that? Da, da. <laughs> That's the fourth. So gorgeous, right? This is a deeper kind of music than what we've been listening to. And I, you know, you can't play the whole thing, of course. But let me just show you how gl it glistens. This first movement at the end. So this glorious hymn opens the symphony, okay? And then the second movement gives you a scherzo, and this is a more, the most traditional part of the piece. The kind of Copeland you know from Appalachian Spring and Rodeo and everything with full American vitality. with that full Copeland fanfare you get. And then the woodwinds continue it. Woodwinds and percussion. And then we get a variation of the tune in the horns. Same as that variation. All dance music, just like you're going to be hearing in the Mexican composers, right? Okay, then you get a trombone doing an augmentation. Augmentation means they do the tune twice as slow. Just trying to, I'm taking you through this quickly. And then you get the Western version. Feels like this is like from the 1930s or 40s movie westerns. How fun is that? Then the trio, so it's a scherzo. Scherzo means that you get a big fast section and then you get a trio that's lighter and then you go back to the scherzo. So here's a little bit of the trio. This is the kind of Copeland bucolic writing that's so beautiful. Here the strings take over.
then you get the uh, <coughs> winds coming back. And then what's so interesting in Copland's music is how he goes from one music to the other. So here, here's how he gets what we call a retransition, how he gets from this bucolic music back to this kind of vigorous Western stuff. And so he puts the two together, and it's fun to hear them trying to live in the same world. Picking up momentum. I'm going to go forward. this wonderful canon at the end where one voice imitates the other. That's a lot like Petrushka, by the way. <laughs> Stravinsky's Petrushka. And then it ends in a blaze of glory. And then we get the third movement. This gorgeous, this is the heart of the piece for me at least. It starts with these strings way up there totally disembodied. And if you hadn't heard the, the beginning of the piece, it would sound like random music, but it's not going to sound like random music to you. What does that sound like? That's the second, that second theme in the first movement, right? But we went, we had da, 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 da. But now it's just totally become like a ghost. Listen to it again so that when the concert comes, you, you're just totally glued in to this great opening. The rhythm is all broken. It's been stripped of everything, just to give you an idea. And then, then you get this chorale response. This is the tragic part of the symphony, right? just gorgeous. And then that ends and you get this beautiful middle section that's a radiant E major, kind of conjuring the beginning of the opening. But in this, this is the most gorgeous part of the symphony, the way it glows.
This is the Copeland we love in Appalachian Spring, or that I love in Appalachian Spring. <laughs> Out of that beauty comes a dance. Doesn't that sound a little bit like, wait, I think I've got it. I got it some of Appalachian Spring here. Doesn't it sound a little bit like, uh, I don't know, maybe this one? Like, way much like it, right? So, that, so he's kind of quoting himself there as well, which is kind of cool. Now, I want to show you what he, what he does with that. Uh, is he, he makes, again, this retransition, how to get back to that ghostly moment. Beautiful, but dissonant. I'm going to move up for a little bit in this. It slows down, slows down. And then we have the end. And when it, after it ends, hold on, I, it skipped to the end. Hold on one second. Let me show you how this beautiful thing ends. These two chords. And then the fourth minute begins, and it gives substance to that ghost with the intonation of the fanfare, but with a flute. It's kind of trying to breathe life back into it. interesting way to bring in the fanfare, right? Beautiful transition. And then as it goes, eventually the brass come in. So there's the fanfare as we know it, and then we have a bunch of variations. The winds. go a little farther in this. Right here. This beautiful, gentle variation with the woodwinds. Copeland has such a gift writing for the winds, doesn't he? And then we get that with the strings. All variations of the fanfare tune, and then the brass get into the dance. You got the idea, and then the fanfare itself becomes dancey.
It's wonderful, right, to hear the deep fanfare with all this glittery woodwinds over it. And then we get this beautiful second theme. That becomes also a very important idea. And you get a dialogue here with the winds and strings. There's that turn. Get the idea. And then he adds brass to it and then the wood blocks. Let a Copeland piece be without wood blocks, right? Getting faster. I'm just trying to give you this wonderful, then there's a, a beautiful retransition that gets us back to the fanfare. This is the recap. Very ethereal now. And then finally, the fanfare comes with a timpani. I don't know if you can hear, but those are both themes at the, at the same time. Da, 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 and da, 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 da. Both of those at the same time. And finally, the big brass. get the idea, and then finally a coda. I just gave you a cliff note safari through the Copeland Third Symphony. <laughs> and I'm hoping that then you're gonna have more time now for these changes to take place as you listen in the hall. And I hope this really touches you spiritually because yeah, it's a, it's a vote of affirmation for America, something we all really need right now. But it also it includes all the pain and beauty in it too. Hope you enjoyed the lecture. If you'd like to uh, sign my book, come up afterwards and have a great concert, everyone. Thank you.